Oh yeah. Canceled too soon. A podcast. Podcast. About TV. Television shows. That were. That were very, very short. Canceled too soon. One season or less. Oh yeah. This week on Canceled Too Soon. Police Squad in color. With Whitney Seibold. And William Bibiani. Special guest star, Drew McQueenie. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Cancel Too Soon, the podcast where we review television series that lasted one season or less. My name is William Bibiani. I'm a film critic for Crave Online at Blumhouse.com. Everybody calls me Bibbs. Hi, I'm Whitney. He's Whitney. <laughs> My name is Whitney Seibel. I contribute to the entire internet. Uh, and uh, you've probably seen me around. That handsome devil you saw at the subway. Mm-hmm. He's in all the bear porn. <laughs> not yet, but I'm trying. <laughs> you've had offers. It's an industry to, that's difficult to break into. No, it's not. You've had offers. No, it's true. I've had literally offers. had offers. I got, I got, seriously, a guy once handed me a card uh, while I was working the box office at the New Art Theater in Los Angeles and said, hey, you do good in bear porn. <laughs> Filled out a form, never heard back from the guy. <sighs> I'm curious how you messed up that form. (laughs) What did did I say? Uh, This week on the B-Movies Podcast, we're doing uh, one of our most requested episodes. It was donated by uh, uh, a a listener from our Amazon wish list. If you want to contribute to Cancel Too Soon, we don't have a Patreon yet, but you can send us shows and we'll review them. Uh, This was donated by, uh, I believe it was Mike Shutt, uh, who is awesome. And sent us Police Squad. Mm. Uh, 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 but, police uh, Squad in color. In color, One yeah. of the funniest TV shows in TV history. That's right. And to join us, mm. because this is like one of the highlights of the 1980s, mm-hmm. uh, we have got the co-host of 80s All Over, Mr. Drew McQueenie. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This yeah. was uh, this was an easy one to get me to do. I love this show. Yeah. <laughs> we gave you a list, and yes. this was like right up at the top of it. I I loved it when it was on the air, um, and it was it, it is genuinely a pleasure to see that it holds up. So mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, uh, so Drew McQueenie, you know Drew McQueenie. Uh, uh, I mean, you you were like in back in the Renegade, Ain't It Cool News days. You're on Hit Fix. I was I was Ain't It Cool and and Hit Fix for a grand total of twenty years between the two of them, and uh, am now doing a number of different things. Eighties all over the podcast, which mm-hmm. is on iTunes, and we have our own site, 80sallover.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm also doing a, a magazine that is a mix of film criticism and original serialized fiction called Pulp and Popcorn, and the subscriptions just went on sale for that. That's fantastic. Uh, mm-hmm. The first three issues are out and free because I'm a good drug dealer, and I understand you have to give them the first mm-hmm. you know, couple of hits. So yeah, Once you've had a taste of McQueenie, you'll pay. <laughs> you'll, you'll probably maybe begrudgingly try it once. So um, <laughs> Once you've had McQueenie, you never go back, Weenie. And uh, the uh, the film nerd two point book, thank you. And the film nerd two point book, uh, which is about sharing media with your kids, uh, and specifically uh, the Star Wars films, that's on sale as well. Um, yeah, we I, that that is a great idea, by the way. I think we're all kind of concerned about how to raise children uh, uh, to consume media intelligently. Passionately, I honestly think smartly, we or we just do. just actively. Well, that's the, that, and that's yeah. the point: is there? There's uh, so many people use it as a babysitter, or use mm-hmm. it as something they put on, or they they don't really uh, think much about the diet they give their kids media wise. Mm-hmm. They'll worry about everything else. But there is a general pop culture that it's like, all right, well, I'll just give them this, and then that's fine because it's pop culture. Yeah. But I, I think unless you teach your kids to actually watch text and understand text and have conversations with mm-hmm. them about it, you don't know what's you have no idea what's going in yeah, and what's yeah. staying. And you know, 
we, we, we've seen. People need to learn how to read a newspaper. They need to learn how to distinguish bias. They need to learn how to understand text and subtext and, and how things are manipulated. I and s- yeah, it's got to start. We've got to really take it seriously. And because so much now is taught via media, mm-hmm. I think it has to be that has to be a separate thing. We've advocated on our other podcast, the B Movies podcast, multiple times that uh, film and media studies needs to be a at least an elective at yeah. high schools more. I think it should like, be K through twelve. I think it should be something, some sort of something mm-hmm. that begins young and just teaches you to think and mm-hmm. process. Yeah. Just not to just accept. Yeah. Everything. Oh, that robot's real. That's that's cool. Uh, but so your podcast, Eighties All Over, by the way, is a great podcast. Thank you. Uh, and the concept is every week you go through, or it's a biweekly show. Yeah, every two weeks, and mm-hmm. it's mainly just because there's so much stuff to watch, mm-hmm. um, and you know we want to make sure that that we give everything another look. So part of the the premise is that. Nostalgia ossifies your opinion after a while. Oh, and absolutely. a lot of times, yeah. you haven't seen a film in 25 years, and you talk about it as if you have an opinion. How do you know for sure that you still <laughs> feel that way? You're a it's, different person by now. Yeah. I, absolutely. And a lot of times, what I'm finding as we go back is that I, I really am having either a stronger reaction to something positively, or I, I realize that what I saw in it was... A product of the age and the moment I saw it, and, mm-hmm. and what, uh, some films I, I totally am having different reactions. What, to what, what was your biggest disappointment? Yeah, what's one that does not hold up? <clears throat> the I, worst. It's not. It's not a terrible movie, but it really wasn't what I remembered, and that's Melvin and Howard by John Demme. Um, <laughs> which I was listening to your episode about that. Yeah, which I like the movie. It's okay. But it's not about Howard Hughes at all. <laughs> and I really thought more of the film was about the, the will and about mm. Melvin DeMar and how he found it and all that stuff. That's maybe That's 15 minutes at the end of the film. The majority of it is just a guy who keeps losing and who <laughs> constantly believes, I'm going to figure it out, and loses again. And it's it's a tough sit in some ways, and well, not the, what I remembered. I, I always felt well, like the tagline for that is misleading. That's not the movie. It's like you're giving away the twist, practically. Yeah. You should be like settling in for a movie that isn't about that, and instead it's the title, and it's, yeah, the, well, and it's the log line. It's not what you remembered, but is it a good film? It's an, it's an okay film with a phenomenal performance by young Mary Steenburgen, mm. who deserves the Academy Award she won for it. She's great, and it's not what... Again, if you only know Mary Steenburgen now, if like you're a younger viewer and you know older Mary Steenburgen, mm-hmm. good lord, uh, she spends half this movie with her kid off and is this <laughs> big goony bird ding dong who is amazingly uh, you you find yourself just you you want to take care of her because she's so bad at it and she's great like she's very touching in the film. And I love Paul uh, Paul Lamatt, who I think yeah. is profoundly underrated and only made a handful of movies anyway. Yeah. Um, so there's stuff to like about it. It's just not what I remembered at yeah. all. One more question about 80s all over. We're going through the entire mm. decade of the 80s. It's month it, by month. You, you, I like that you have like a, a finite thing. Because with this show, we'll never end. This yeah. show ends when we die, yeah. basically. <laughs> uh, uh, what are you dreading? You know what's coming? 1983. What, why 1983? Because it's a fucking wasteland. <laughs> it was the it was the worst year of my... Wasn't that the year Strange Brew came out? There, there's, I'm sure there's, there's some charming films. There's little oases. But Superman is, 3 came out in 1983. Summer, that summer was... Oh, Superman 3. That's your high watermark. Oh, yeah, no, that's my low watermark. That's oh, okay. the thing. is, It's one lot. Jaws 3D. Uh, oh, all the threes. Uh, Octopussy is that summer. Oh. <laughs> it is one how long you, kick, the, kick How the do the you balls. make a boring movie called Octopussy? The pussy. That's no, what they, I don't they understand. It out. They it. Uh, Videodrome came out that year. No, it's '82. Uh, well, I'm look, I'm According looking, to what he's looking, I'm looking at, at, a Scarface, uh, uh, A Christmas Story, which, which, The Right Stuff. There's some good movies. War in games. There. 
War Games, Trading Places, The Dead Zone. There are some good movies. There okay. is a Darth compared to... Here's the problem. is It comes right after 82 and right before 84, mm. which are both terrific years. Like mm-hmm. 82 might be the best year that we're going to cover. It's definitely one of them. And it's mm. phenomenal how much stuff is packed into that year. And then you hit this... Especially the summer season. The summer was rough in 83. But yeah, you've got Man with Two Brains. You've got stuff that does work and hold up. you got a lot of stuff that doesn't. So that's going to be a rough one. Like Staying yeah. Alive yeah. and Jaws 3. You know what? Oh, first, Staying Alive. Yentl. Staying Alive was the first movie I saw in a theater. Really? really? Oh, yeah. All right. Let me tell you something. I have a lot of affection for that movie. That's not as bad a movie as people say it is. Here's the thing. I, I have a theory that a lot of times the affection that we have for something is not only when we saw it, but what kind of relationship we had to that piece of media. There's a great episode of How Did This Get Made that just went up mm. where June Diane Ray, they decide to do, uh, oh. Anna Ferris comes on as the guest, and they decide to do Grease 2. Okay. And June Diane comes out hot and says, first of all, I will not put up with any bullshit about this. <laughs> this is the best movie I've ever seen. And she goes on to explain that when she was young, she had two VHS tapes. One okay. was Grease 2. And so she saw it, 37,000 times. Right. And can do every word and every right, song right. and and didn't see the original. <laughs> which I love even more. That's pretty great. So, but that is the thing. Is like you, There but, are people who definitely, there are movies that mean something to us. But here's the thing. Here's the weird thing about that one. I don't remember seeing that in a the theater. People have told me that's the first thing I really? saw. Really? First thing I remember seeing in a theater is Amadeus. Wow, okay, so a couple of years down yeah, the road. Yeah. yeah, like a couple of years. Like I was super fucking young. But like I, I only saw Staying Alive in its entirety when I was like 29 or 30. Wow, okay. And you know what? Not that bad. It's, it's, not, it's no Saturday Night Fever, but it's not a terrible little film. Well, it's, it's very confusing as a sequel to Saturday Night yes. Fever. I think that's its biggest problem. That is a problem. If it was a like, different movie, it'd be fine. You're like, did you... Did you see Saturday Night Fever? I'm just curious because you didn't have to. It's a nebulous relations might have helped. It's the Highlander yeah. to the quickening of yeah. disco movies. Definitely. Uh, yeah. The <laughs> other thing Drew is doing before we move on to the episode proper uh, is he is killing it on the movie trivia showdown. Oh, thank you, and yeah. so are you. Thank you. I had a I had a bad episode. Um, I had a bad run of questions okay. that was just like just hit my my weak spots. Well, like and that's five the thing. questions. In I a row. have a feeling that the wheel is a bitch yes. and is going to mess me up at some point. What is and what is your weakness? Um, this would be really useful for me to know. At some I honestly, point. In case you I honestly don't know, it. and and mm. I'm sure though it'll hit something, and I'll go. I had no idea that was, but there. Okay, I just got roadblocked. Yeah, this fucking guy. Okay, maybe so the, dates, maybe dates. Dates is hard because there's always like that one year well, off. And I got I, I missed in my first one. I missed uh, Eternal Sunshine, which blew my mind because that's one of my very favorite films. Mm. But I had it the same year somehow in my head. I had it the same year as The Incredibles, and it's not. At yeah. All. So, it was, it was uh, three, right? 2004, I think. Oh, was, see, yeah. it's easy to be yeah, so yeah, close. You're like, right, you're, yeah. Functionally, you're right, but you're not literally Because you're thinking right, yeah. the movies around it. I'm great at movies I worked during. Because mm. I was an usher oh, starting yeah. in 86. Yeah, yeah. That was my first year in movie theaters. Yeah. If and it came out while I was working at Hollywood Video, I know what you're thinking. Exactly. Yeah. And if it came 90, out between... 95 to 97. 86 <laughs> and 93, roughly, I'm yeah. solid gold. I know those yeah. years. Around that, it gets... Yeah. You know, we'll see. The Movie Trivia Showdown is a movie trivia show. I'm on it as the Beast. He's on it as the Godfather now. And you, again, there's just this wheel and you get a random category. This guy got the 1970s. Now, to most people on that show, that's an easy, that's a hard category. Oh, this guy I'm got delighted. the easiest questions. Basically, one of your questions was, hey, what movie was Billy Jack? Yes. <laughs> like, there's no other movie Billy Jack is. But if you like, don't know Billy Jack. You, you how do you not know Billy Jack? When they describe Billy, the character, half Navajo and he kicks, and he's Vietnam vet. 
I guarantee this, there were people in that room who have never heard of Billy Jack ever. I know, but it's so ridiculous. I know, but this, that's the thing yeah. is I've got to count on the Billy, fact. Did you say Billy Jack or the trial of Billy Jack? It was. They were asking about the seventy-one originals. They were asking, oh, they were asking about yeah. Billy Jack. Right. So, or it wasn't Billy Jack goes to Washington. Oh, what is? <laughs> Honestly, yeah. Um, but four, yeah, so four, there are right? there are things four, that I feel three. like uh, for me are common knowledge. Of course, mm-hmm. I've and look if you you the other day we asked some question on Twitter and you go well the psychotronic guy said. You're way ahead of a lot of people. <laughs> that's the thing. I grew up mainlighting Danny Peary and the Psychotronic Guide and the Leonard yeah. Maltin books and that. So all that shit is bouncing around. I was the pre-IMDB IMDB. Yeah. Oh, yeah. In yeah. my school, I remember the reason that Dave's was so good for me, Dave's Video, when I worked there, which was a Laserdisc store in the uh, San Fernando Valley, and I started working there in the early 90s. The reason it was so great and I met so many people was because people would come in, they would have a question about a movie or about a something, and right. everybody would just go, I don't know, ask him. <laughs> and they would point at me. And so one of my favorites was a guy came in and he had a script. And he was like, I don't, I, there's this, I don't get this. And he showed me, and the script on the inside front page had a list of like 17 things mm-hmm. that were relatively obscure that you needed to know to come audition. And this guy was like, I don't fucking know any of this stuff. <laughs> it was like Dillinger with Lawrence Tierney, and it was a couple of other things. And that man's name was? Jerry Levine, who was auditioning to play Nice Guy Eddie in Reservoir Dogs. Okay! And so nice. he fun. went and he did the, and I pulled all seven I wanted to say, who, who fucking had the balls to put that many fucking things on there? Tarantino. It's Tarantino. Whitney's boss. And so well, that I, was... I that, work for the man. I, well, that was L- Luckily, he didn't give us a, a, a syllabus before we had to work. What a wonderful thing. Like, I... I read yeah. that though, and I was like, "All right, well, if you don't get it, mm. bring me the script back." <laughs> he brought the script back and was like, "I didn't get it. Here's the script." And I remember we waited a year for the oh. movie to come out, and we were we were like this this guy if this guy fucking pulls this off, he's a nut. <laughs> this is great. And we, the film was more than we expected nice. it to be, yeah. but that list was my first exposure to him, and the only reason I knew. And Jerry ended up directing my first play, and ended up mm-hmm. making a film deal with us, and like we did a lot of work with Jerry. I wouldn't have known him. And you guys know him as Styles from Team Wolf, of course. Of course. And uh, like I, th- that's I, I knew that, and I knew this, and yeah. I knew Born on the Fourth of July, and so that conversation was very easy. But that opened the door, the knowledge. And I think now people get used to you can check your phone. Oh, who was in that movie? Uh, it was Bing, and you've got the answer. Mm. We had to know it. We had to just yeah, walk no, around absolutely. with that shit yeah, yeah, inside yeah. us. Yeah. No, I, I had the the big blockbuster guide, and I, I was the one with sort of the. I don't want to say obscure or arty films when I'm talking about stuff like A Clockwork Orange, but yeah, I was that's still, how it was to a certain in, class in my, of people. Yeah. In, in my yeah. sort of recommended section, and that that summer I worked at Blockbuster Video, I had a little, little bit headier stuff, and I was considered the intellect. I, I wasn't, you know, <laughs> fighting in my weight group, but you know. Well, here's here's a question I got that everyone was like when I was, and this was in Hollywood Video days. Everyone was like, "How did you know that?" Mm. I'm sh- I assume you guys will both know it. What's that movie with the giant spider in the hourglass? Giant spider in the hourglass. Yeah. Like the incredible shrinking man? No, 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 with the hourglass. I don't know. Crawl? Oh. Oh, okay. there's an awesome fucking sequence, and like yeah. he has to get to the, yeah. hour, the hourglass, and then like once the, the hourglass the, is out, the spider okay. will kill him. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, okay. yeah. okay. Uh, all right. Well, guess I'm going to be beating I, the Godfather on the Schmodown. I, I, I can talk to you about the design of the beast and who paid for the design of the beast in Crawl. <laughs> I'm sure that's going to be a question on the Schmodown. It's Coca Cola. 
Coca-Cola literally paid for the design, which okay. was crazy expensive, like a $2 million design that they ended up having to shoot out of focus and distorted because it never worked. <laughs> they just went, oh, fuck, we paid for that? Shoot it badly. And so that's why yeah. the Beast, when he shows up in that movie, is almost, un- you can't see it. Yeah. Oh, God, Krull is such a wonderful yeah. Okay. I was doing some research on Krull yes. after watching uh, Silent Night, Deadly Night, <laughs> because in the, the background well, scene of the... To- holes. We the, follow his well, film nerds. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, in, in the background shot of one of the, the scenes in the toy shop, you see the Krull tie-in board game. <laughs> and I wanted to know if that was real. Of course it is. Uh, of course, it's yeah. On, it's on, they, didn't, they didn't build new toys for Silent Night, Deadly it's, Night. It's, it's, <laughs> well, you know, so maybe there was like a Krull fan who thought, I was like, hey, I thought I'd just well, put the poster on a box and it'll be really fun. No, you can get them on eBay for like $600,000. And uh, I wanted to f- sort of look in what other sort of tie-in products. Krull had the most elaborate oh, marketing campaign that of amazing. all time. That's an 83 film that just... Yeah. Well, and they, they crowdsource <laughs> like their advertising. <laughs> they crowdsource their advertising. Now, the, mm-hmm. one of the, the premises of the film is that the castle that the bad guy lives in, like, bilocates. It just sort of teleports yep. around the, the landscape. Somebody had the idea, you could paint Krull on the side of a van and just park it randomly. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <clears throat> this was one of the finalist ideas, by the way. <laughs> Tell, tell, uh, tell them the best, the best thing, though. The best crawl marketing the thing. The best crawl marketing thing is if you were one of the lucky winners, the, the studio would pay for, in its entirety, a crawl-themed wedding. Oh, yeah. For no, a no, couple. I remember this. Yeah. I remember. We're trying to track down trying who to got tra- that wedding. Track down we the need to interview these people. married in a crawl-themed wedding. Wait, wait, wait. Mm-hmm. Do you know this information? Do I've you know seen this? photos. <gasps> There are photos that exist of the Krull-themed wedding, and I know that. Because I didn't... But there's no captions. You don't know who they are. Okay, yes. We're trying to track down those people. I don't know how their marriages are doing, you know? That's crazy. Yeah, I... You've got to wonder (laughs) how their marriages are doing. Were you cursed by Krull? We had a Krull-themed wedding. It lasted six months. (laughs) We 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 are almost 18 minutes into this episode, and I think people are getting a little antsy. So... Let's, let's talk about police Let's squad. get right down the brass tags. But before we do, Drew, cigarette? Yes, I know. The girls from the typing pool will be there when the producers of the hit comedy movie Airplane crash onto television with Police Squad. Is this some kind of bust? Yes, it's very impressive, but we'd just like to ask a few questions. Well, come on in. And meet the new breed of cops stepping into the 80s. Why don't you run along now, Katie? And next week I'll show you why women can't play professional football. Leslie Nielsen is a detective on his way up in Police Squad, coming Thursday at 8, 7, Central and Mountain. <laughs> we just played a clip! <laughs> we just played a clip on Cancel Too Soon! How cool is this? Uh, Police Squad is one of the best TV shows of all time, uh, yeah. without argument. Uh, it comes oh, actually, from, I'm actually going to argue that, but okay. Well, it, comes fr- it comes from uh, uh, the, the, the ZAZ school, uh, Zucker Abram Zucker, who had previously mm-hmm. done the Kentucky Fried movie and Airplane. Yep. Uh, this, this was right after. This was two years after Airplane. Airplane it was. was still, and, yeah. and it was interesting to watch, because I remember how everybody started chasing Airplane hard. There was a lot yeah. of imitators mm-hmm. immediately. And they all and that, stunk. God, they Even sucked. Airplane 2. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. It's, it's a, and the hardest thing was the tone. And I think yeah. what makes Airplane so beautiful is the fact that it looks it's like... Deadpan. Yeah. Shitty yeah, yeah. 70s television. Yeah. It's got the exact same cinematography style. Mm-hmm. And they, they never sell a joke. They yeah, no well, one in jo- no one in the movie no one in the show movie is is aware of the joke. No. Thank, that's the beauty Thanks of it. to Police Squad and to the movies that spun off of it, the Naked Gun series, uh, Leslie Nielsen's uh, reputation, the lead, uh, mm-hmm. completely changed. Because he was previously known for stuff like Forbidden Planet, 
did you Poseidon ever see Adventure. Poseidon Adventure? Did you ever see Day of the Animals, where he like thre- oh. threatened to rape somebody in a in the midst of an animal oh, I, attack? I still yeah, say it's... the funniest post airplane movie he made was nuts, where Not, he beats the shit out of Barbara Streisand wearing black bikini underwear. Yeah, it's a bizarre sequence because it's him. It's him. no matter yeah. how serious that scene is played. Is he, it's Leslie Nielsen. He, what movie Leslie, is this? Because I haven't seen this one. Nuts. Oh, the Richard Dreyfuss. Okay. Yeah, I have not seen he, that. She's a hooker, and he's the John who finally snapped and beat the crap out of her during it. And, and he's just like cussing at her and played, grabbing her by the, the neck and throwing her against the mirrors. Serious yeah, with insane. Leslie Nielsen in black bikini underwear. So, it's impossible <laughs> not to laugh. I don't care who but, you are. <laughs> Leslie, the reason the show works so well, and the reason the Naked Gun movies work so well, and also as you played Dr. Rumack in Airplane, is because he played a heavy and he knows how to yeah. do it completely deadpan. Yeah. Yeah. He was ne- you see him in interviews later on in his life, and he's he's got like a little fart machine in his hands. And he's he kind of joking it. around. He, he, he embraced it eventually. Yeah. Well, he accepted sure, it where his I'm career not sure if he was always a goofball or if he just embraced it, but... He was never that guy, and in Police Squad, he's still not that guy. It's he's, why I love Police Squad, not super, the movie. Super yeah, we're going to talk about the movies when we get to I, the end of Police Squad. That's what I love yeah, about this. Is it really this evolved is still, in a weird way. I mean, even the pilot, they did what they did with Zero Hour for Airplane, where they basically took straight lines mm-hmm. from another cop show, from a real cop show from an episode. Uh-huh. They just wrote down straight lines they thought were hilarious. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the show they're referencing most heavily, I believe, is M Squad. And that's the uh, show that show. they took... Lines from. They, yeah, yeah, it's, I mean, it's not a show I'm really familiar with. I know Lee Marvin is in it, yeah. but uh, if you, a lot of people are familiar with uh, Dragnet, and that's the same tone. Exactly. It's, yeah, that, it's that's really exact, self-serious, really earnest. It's never about photography. It's not. Yeah, a, it's yeah. just procedural, dry yeah. white uh, cops. And uh, <laughs> Zuckery Brim Zucker actually had a, an interesting sort of approach when they were doing their. They they were like us were just media obsessives. And they would, when they first got their very first VCR, back before people even had them, they would just set it to tape all night yeah. and see what was playing in the middle of the night. And that's where Kentucky Fried Movie came from. Just these clips of these weird shows and movies that they kind of remixed. It's also where Air Force came, came from because they, they recorded Zero Hour. Yeah, the movie and here's a question. Have you guys seen of. the movie Orgy? Uh, you know, never seen the movie Orgy. No. God damn it. Okay, because no. Joe plays it from time to time at the yeah. New Bev. It and never he'll, he'll, I'm never able to make it. Okay, yeah. You have to at some point. I it's know. one of a kind. It's bizarre. It's Joe Dante and John Davison when they were in yeah. college basically decided they were going to edit together and I think it's the same thing. They came out of that era where UHF television and late night TV was how they digested movies and Grindhouse theaters where they would go and you'd see 11 films in a row. And So there was this weird sort of mishmash that I think these guys all digested the same way and in Joe's episode... Wait, there's that, two there's yeah. there's one of his episodes where there's a whole montage thing that goes on when somebody's getting beaten up and mm-hmm. like it, the three stooges come in at one point. Oh, it's and the hallucination scene. The hallucination. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's surreal. Yeah, it, that's the movie orgy. Mm-hmm. And what's crazy is when you look at it, it's like, uh, of course, Joe Dante directed this moment because <laughs> this feels exactly like hour five of the movie well, orgy, where you're sitting in the theater and you have an out of body experience. The movie and are suddenly all you're together, in a movie yeah. with Dick Miller, and it's bizarre. And yeah. <laughs> Well, and that, that's kind of where media was in the early 1980s, that we were sort of reaching a kind of peak saturation at that point. And video and was starting to make it, was starting to give you the ability mm. to remix and to watch yeah, things yeah. obsessively. Well, I think the, the thing this is where like, the Church of the Subgenius came from, right. yep. these weird sort of... Well, I th- 
uh, uh, primordial pits of media semi-evolution. We have so much goddamn access to media right now yeah. that I think people fail to appreciate that there was a time mm. when you couldn't get movies on demand at all. You couldn't even rent them. Mm. You know, you they were in theaters or they were on TV or you fucking missed I, them. I remember seeing yeah. the first VCR that I ever saw. Yeah, me my, too. My uncle... By marriage, and I want to say that because he's the dumbest man I've ever met, <laughs> uh, worked for RCA at the time in Memphis. And we went to visit, and they had the very first, he brought home one of the first model v- VCRs that rolled out of the RCA plant. And he, it was the greatest thing. He was so excited to show it to us. And they had like 11 titles. Mm. What was the first thing you watched on a VCR? So he bought, because it was Memphis, Jailhouse Rock. Okay, that's actually pretty respectable. And we, we went to his house, he put it on. Got up, started fucking with the TV. Probably ten minutes go by of him messing with every setting. We asked him to sit down, and hand to God, he said, "Well, I've, I've got to finish adjusting the color." I said, "It's a black and white oh, movie." He said, "I know, but it's a color television." Oh, and demanded that we wait until he got it right. So, <laughs> yeah, when it was the first you're, movie you're ever still watched, waiting. What was the first movie ever watched on VHS? Oh gosh, what was it? Well, we got ours uh, after everyone else. Uh, we had a black and white TV as longer than anybody else and a rotary phone. We were always behind the curve. So we started getting VHS sort of leaked into our house a little late in the game. Uh, so we got whatever people thought we needed. So mm-hmm. The Wizard of Oz was hey. one of the first regular rotations, yeah. along with uh, Tim Burton's Batman. That okay. one, that okay. one uh, made a heavy so, Wow, that was late. Jesus. And we got three that I never watched because they all looked terribly boring until much later in my life. We had The Secret Garden... A man of La Mancha and uh, the women. Oh, okay. And I didn't want to do it. Or excuse me, it was Little Women. Oh, not the women. Wait, which Little Women? Catherine Hepburn. The Catherine Hepburn. Okay. Oh, that's a good. So yeah, these, these three three Dick. classics. And I just well, I'm just, nine, nine years old is black and white. Yeah. I don't care. A lot, lot of nine year olds um, are, are going to look at a was, thing called Little Women and go. I was watching <laughs> Mrs. Miniver by that age. You also, tell, shut your mouth. Also, I wasn't watching a lot of movies at that age. I didn't become that's a movies right. obsessive, obsessive until much later. But uh, well, Bibbs, you've met mine, and they're 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 good they kids. are very adventurous. You know. Yeah. I've listened. I've sat in a room one time and listened to Toshi in the other room try to convince a friend of his to watch Modern Times, mm. and his friend just wasn't getting it. <laughs> the more he described it, the less his friend thought it sounded like something he would ever sit through. Uh, and I just so heard him sad. give up and go, uh, or or we could watch the Avengers. Yeah, <laughs> I heard his heart break a little. Like, you, got some, you, got, you got some cool kids there. Ours was Mr. Mom. Mr. Mom. We, nice. we bought a VCR, we rented Mr. Mom, and we watched the fuck out of that for days I, on end. I remember the big disappointment was when we went to the or a first video store to rent a video to put up play on our brand new VCR. We found the movie we wanted. It was Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. Oh, there you one go. Of the funniest thing, and we ran. We were carrying it around the store looking for like a second one. We were, but this was the one we knew we wanted. We handed it to our parents. Like we, we want to watch Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. Oh, that's Betamax. We can't rent that. Oh, and that sucks. And then we burned the video store down, and I became an orphan. All right, hang on, hang on. Different question, similar similar thesis. What were the movie or movies you rented over and over and over and over and over and over again? Because um, everyone had like two or three that they yeah. got over and over again. I'm, I to don't the point wanna, where they should have just bought it. I don't want to say. Because <laughs> I got some really embarrassing ones. Don't we all? Yeah. I, had the, well, uh, I, I, I rented The Goonies a lot. Okay. I rented Gremlins 2 a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I rented Hot to Trot a lot. That's fine. No, it's not. <laughs> It's not fine. Mine were uh, uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, mm. 
uh, Toby Hooper's Invaders from Mars for some reason, mm. and uh, Giorgio Moroder's Metropolis. Yeah. I, I, watched, I probably wore that tape down. Drew? God, I'm old. Um, yeah. Caddyshack? Okay. Okay. Um, for some weird reason, I was fascinated by Altman's M.A.S.H., Okay. Mainly because I don't think I knew what the fuck to make of it. Like, I yeah. kept trying to figure it out as a, as a younger viewer. <laughs> I'm more of a Popeye man. Um, oh, well, Popeye was... Popeye was a big movie for me. That was yeah. that came out when it's you know I was starting to demand what to go see, yeah. and that was that was on my radar for months because of the soundtrack and the book and the yeah they really they sold you were talking about tie-ins that fucking thing arrived with everything tied into it it was crazy <laughs> I had the album for like four weeks before the movie came out I remember it's also awful shut up you shut your you shut your dumb face well, anyway, I won't you guys shut enjoy the, you you guys enjoy the rest of your conversation yeah yeah, yeah we just back, lost Drew McQueen thanks a lot. <laughs> He's, he's fucking film criticism royalty, and we lost him because of you yeah. and your dumb face. Yep, okay. right. I'm happy to have the conversation for real, because uh, I, I do really like That's it. a conversation for another time. Yes. We need to get back to Police Squad. Let's actually run down some, some actual facts. Mm-hmm. Uh, Police Squad uh, aired from March 4th to March 15th, 1982, and then the last two episodes aired on July 1st. And July 8th, it aired on ABC, and according to ABC Entertainment President Tony Tomopoulos, Police Squad was canceled because, quote, the viewer had to watch it in order to appreciate it. By far one of the most insane quotes of all time, and I remember (laughs) reading it at the time and being like, what just happened? (laughs) It's one of those... That's why it's amazing. But here's the thing, and it's it's one of those quotes that, indeed, it reads as stupid as it possibly can. Is he trying to infer that that you need to pay, like, really close attention? Yeah, nobody had ever made a show this dense before. That's true. You know, we are wired radically differently now in terms of humor and pace of humor Mm -hmm. and how we absorb jokes. Mm -hmm. Thanks to The Simpsons, thanks to... Airplane. Thanks to Zucker, Abram Zucker. They started started us down that... And, you know, I look back now at stuff that I thought when I was a kid was nonstop. I remember the first time I saw Monty Python on the Holy Grail... Mm I'd never seen a movie that was paced like that had that much stuff in it, or that. And I look at it now; it's relatively sedate comparatively, <laughs> right? Because yeah. it is a different kind of humor that's more verbal, and it requires you to kind of follow them and get the. Yeah. So it's not what I remembered, but it felt at the time like a like an avalanche of comedy. Yeah. So did these. Yeah. Police Squad, well, and, and they and, still and, do. It's it's like frantic. It's mostly. Great. So Police Squad again, it's airplane, but with cops. If you've seen the Naked Gun movies, you've got the gist of it, but they're very different beasts, and we'll talk about that in a second. Uh, but. Police Squad is just one joke after another. There's jokes in the background. There's jokes in every other line of dialogue. And and in fact, a lot of the gag is... I can't follow the stories in these things because of what they're distracting me with in the background. Because uh, They'll they'll just do the driest possible talk about the plot, but Mm. in the background, they're in an elevator, and every time the doors open, it's in another obscenely weird place. Yeah. It's like it's the the Alamo or a Yeah, and then the doors open, and then it's the Oscars. It's just a weird gag. The experience felt like you were watching... Watching the Mad Magazine version of a movie yeah. that you had never seen. That the movie oh, yeah. didn't actually exist. You would just got the Mad Magazine version <laughs> instead. And it was and it was because of that. It was because of that density of jokes. And frequently Mad would have a foreground joke and then two or three little background jokes in a panel that you were that you could take your time and find. But movies rarely would take the chance of you missing a background joke. Yeah. yeah. So it was always paced, here's this, here's that, here's this, here. 
Airplane was one of the first to really do it on two planes at once and say, eh, keep up. But here's the just, thing. Just do it. But <laughs> Airplane, at the very least, it's a big widescreen movie. TV yeah. at the time, most people still have black and white televisions. Screens were small. Very small, And a lot of people were treating TV like radio. TV yeah. was something you had on in the other room while you made a sandwich. Yes. You weren't expected necessarily to watch it all. That's why the dialogue uh, can be very stodgy in old TV shows. It's because the, you, you might have come in halfway through the episode. You just need to be at all in dialogue. It's basically yeah. photographed dialogue. That's a lot of early TV. Oh, absolutely. In the 70s, it hadn't evolved. 70s TV, if anything, got more uh, stayed as I think movies got more experimental and started really playing with form and playing with content and what you could talk about. TV wanted to follow, but it couldn't. There was just too, it was too entrenched in commercials and too entrenched in advertising, too entrenched what the networks had to keep protecting, which was a very status quo mm. business. Mm-hmm. It's kind of odd that it's inverted in the modern age. It's really crazy yeah. right now, and clearly television has reached that same point that films were at in the 70s, mm-hmm. which was, fuck it, it's all broken, we're just going to try anything. Yeah, and I yeah. think television in the 70s was not there, it was a giant business. Yeah, There were some weird experimental stuff, and we're going to get to it. We think we finally tracked down cliffhangers, and we're really excited nice. about that. <laughs> nice! Yeah! Cliffhangers is I cool. That. Yeah. Oh, cool, you should come back on and, uh, Every and, and do it with us. Every episode when it aired, I yeah. was a big Cliffhangers fan. <laughs> cliffhangers, was a, cliffhangers was an hour-long show, but with three different action-packed shows within it that would all end on cliffhangers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, we're gonna do we're, what's up? We're gonna be like the third Dracula we're gonna do because we did Dracula the series. Right. We're gonna a get to the new Dracula, Dracula and then we're gonna and, do and cl- cliffhangers. And then I think Dracula even showed up in Kindred the Embraced. So did he? Was there actually a Dracula character I'm in Kindred? Sure there was. Oh goddamn! All right, well we'll get to that too. Fuck it. <laughs> Jesus. Dracula killed a lot of TV shows. He sure <laughs> did. Um, if only Ted McGinley had played him at the time. That would have been great. The, wow. That would have been cool. It would have been canceled before they filmed <laughs> <Yes>. it. <laughs> Uh, so, Police Squad. Police Squad, one of the great things about Police Squad, it has the funniest mm. opening credits, I think, of any TV show I've ever seen. Because on one hand, it's big and brassy. It's got this Ira Newborn score. Which is a phenomenal theme. Ira yeah. Newborn killed it. Yeah. If you laughed in the 80s, there's a decent chance Ira Newborn helped. Yeah. Like, because he did, he did, like, all the John Hughes movies. He did Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Yeah. Uncle Buck, 16 Candles. Brain uh, he did donors. Brain donors. <laughs> and he one of the funniest movies yeah. ever made. That's the thing. For those, he scored comedies. And, like, Plain Strange and Automobiles has a great comedy score, which yes. is it's big and it's bouncy and it's fun. He knew exactly what they needed from him here, and he wrote a 50s, early 60s, mm-hmm. big brass band police theme. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. it. It's not a joke at all. And that's yeah. what makes it awesome. It, and in fact, I think it, it goes to why the show is so successful, uh, just for, and across all... Uh, walks of life because it it evokes something that's just sort of lurking in the culture like that Adam 12 cop show procedural that I mean, kids today haven't seen Adam-12. They probably even know what Adam-12 is, but they know Adam-12. You know, though, if they uh, have two police cars parked side by side so they can talk to each other, that's an Adam-69. That's uh, true. That's true. That's true. (laughs) Uh, nobody remembers those call signs or those shows like yeah. emergency or like I, I'd be surprised specific era I'd be surprised if anyone a, under 20 even knows Car 54 where are you anymore like, but it, yeah. it's it, you mean that movie from the 90s fuck you <laughs> <laughs> but no I, th- I think Ira Newborn was really good about it Bringing the tone of that, mm. uh, and well, not not just the the filmmaker ZAZ, but I think Ira Newborn had to, had a great deal of responsibility in 
bringing that actual pacing and that actual sound into the living room again into a way that was just tapping into your subconscious in a way you weren't really aware of. I love how cheap the show is, too. Yeah. Yeah. I love love that it's all clearly shot on just a paramount street. Yeah. And they do not try to dress it as real. But that's even the great gag where uh, the doctor always goes through the door into the next lab and Leslie Nielsen passes in front of the set. Yes. Yeah. Like, you have to pay attention to even notice. But that's one of the reasons why the score is so great because the score is the score to a better series. Yeah. And if you look at if, I, I swear, I think you can see in the police squad theme the DNA for Danny Elfman's Simpsons theme, where it is so completely huge mm. that that's the joke. And now the Simpsons is just so huge, it just feels appropriate. But at the time, that was ludicrous. Yeah. Right, right. That was hilarious that the Simpsons had a score that big. Exactly. And it's it hilarious like, the police squad. through this entire city, and you were going to get every. And, every yeah. po- and they've this- earned it now. Yeah, but, but yes. at the time it was again context. People forget how weird it was. I, I and I legitimately love the the fact that Leslie Nielsen in, in this show, you know, you you watch the first film. I think the first film is the one where he has the mic on and he goes and he pees. And yeah, hear him. Mm-hmm. It's all shtick by that point, and well, it's big. It's very broad, and it's fine. It's just a totally different kind of comedy. What I love here is he can be having a conversation up front that is just deadly dull for four and a half minutes right. and they will they will let it go and they're not afraid to do that and he understands yeah. exactly what that tone is and how to sell it and never ever breaks a sweat or breaks a smile in these I, I want to get back to the credits at some point but uh, I, here's the difference and I was I rewatched the Naked Gun movies recently to, to try to figure out why they're different because I remember that they were different mm-hmm. the Naked Gun movies have straight people Mm-hmm. Not heterosexuals. Yeah. They have people who Looks aren't great. in on the who aren't in the the universe with the jokes in it. Yes, mm. and that's where why they fail. Now, granted, the first one's still quite funny. The second one has some good laughs, and Robert Goulet is a great straight man. Yeah, I don't think to they're his credit. Funny. They're just totally different. They're totally different because there's always that like that one like Marx Brothers lady character who's just the like Mar- oh the Margaret Dumont character Margaret Dumont yeah. thank you I was trying, I was trying to say Dame May Whitty and I knew that was wrong <laughs> the Marx Brothers lady yeah like the, seriously Margaret Dumont is in all of those in spirit as that yeah. person who's like no don't pee on the microphone whereas in the original show you could do that exact same bit where Frank Drebin urinates you probably couldn't have it on TV at the time but you could do that bit and everyone would just keep doing the press conference yeah. and it would be funnier yeah mm. and that's that, that to me is the big difference it's a lot like um, um, the reason that I love National Lampoon's vacation and Christmas vacation, but I don't at all care for a European vacation, mm. the first film, the Griswolds are the victims. All they want is a good holiday, and life puts its fucking thumb on them, and it's beautiful as a result. The second film, they victimize Europe. Europe is fucking destroyed at the end of it by them. They are yeah. an aggressive force. Mm. To me, not remotely funny. I don't like that version of them. And it's yeah. just mm-hmm. a case. I know people after that film. Hell. It's a radically di- For me, the joke, I love the joke of Clark Griswold, the good dad who just wants to give you the holiday, and life isn't going to let him. That I identify with and feel. I don't like the you know victimizer. It's, and it's a mean spirited sort of humor, and I don't I don't appreciate it. Either. That's what I love. In yeah. the, I love Leslie Nielsen in these, and I I really and I love the fact that he kept doing straight roles at the same time. For God's sake, the same month that Airplane was in theaters, so was Prom Night. That's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I, <laughs> Uh, Leslie Nielsen was also on a Cancel Too Soon show I really want to track down, although I think it might be hard, called What Really Happened to the Class of 65. Wow, oh, yeah. You remember that? I do. Yeah, because that was an anthology show just yep. about everyone in like a high school class and what happened to them later. 
That's it. That's it. That's an experimental idea for the seventies. Mm. I yeah. can see why that got canceled fast. Yeah, and it's, yeah. it's that it's that it's, era it's right, right of sort of exploring the... suburbia and trying to and trying to come. I, there, that fits in seventies TV in a way, though. Mm. Right up I there can with see the that. love story TV. Well, there's a wistfulness to it. Um, also in the cast, uh, we need to talk about uh, Captain Ed Hawken, uh, a role that was played by George Kennedy mm. in the uh, movies. A move up, I'd say. Well. Well, uh, in in status perhaps, but Alan North is Alan a great. Alan North is so good in this. He's great. He's, he's such a weird little man it, well, too. He, has, he, such seems, a, he seems a little uh, baffled by what's going on around that's him. That's kind of, of what time. I like. Yeah. I like mm-hmm. the idea, and I'm a big fan of Norberg in this. By the way, how big an opportunity did they miss if they had really wanted? One last Naked Gun movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nordberg should have gone on trial for murder. That would have been really it would have bold. Been and that would never, that the was greatest movie that Zucker Abrams that would, ever that made. That would never They'd happen. They would have never made it. <laughs> yeah. But it would have been amazing. <laughs> yeah, because Nordberg, again, Nordberg was originally played by Peter Lupus. Uh, I love. Yeah, and he was in Mission Impossible. He was in Hercules and the Tyrants of Babylon. He was also in Pumpkinhead 2, Blood Wings, as Cockfighter Number 2. And I love oh, the Mission Impossible thing because that's Mission an indelible role. Who could forget? And yeah, he's a funny Norbert, but he was replaced by O.J. Simpson at the time. That was just sort of it was seen as sort of a lateral move. Just O.J. Simpson, he's a recognizable face. Now it's weird to watch the. But O.J.'s playing movies. comedy. Yeah. Peter Lupus. What's great about him is, especially if you're a Mission Impossible fan, I as a closed captioner had to close caption Mission Impossible, which is the most boring show ever <laughs> produced. It's deadly dull. It's well, so it, dull. Yeah. And I Peter, love the premise. I love what it could have been. It's one boring television show. And yeah. Peter Lupus, mayonnaise. Just mayonnaise. And that's what I love about him well, in this, is him in the background, the one, he, the, uh, the the freeze frames, my yeah. favorite, one of my favorite ones is oh, where he, he doesn't know what to do. Yeah. He has just no <laughs> ideas. Yeah. And he keeps trying he's really getting for that On gag. the phone. Yeah. And the, but I love how uncomfortable he is, and that's Peter Lupus yeah. doing comedy. That's why he's hilarious yeah. to me. Is he's well, but stiff. people might not know but what that he, is. Every episode, real fast, every episode of Police Squad yeah. ends with, it's not a freeze frame, it's just everyone acting still, but there's always one character who didn't get the memo, well, it's, <laughs> and it's really fucking funny every time. Well, the freeze frame, you know, a lot of shows ended that way. You watch an episode oh, yeah. of Chips and it still does that. The, you know, they'd like laugh and they would freeze frame and roll the credits over the freeze. And the joke was, yeah, the, the actors froze. Yeah, they didn't stop the film; they just yeah. stopped moving. And in the fir- very first episode, they were just they couldn't hold it, and you could just sort of see them twitching, or they had to scratch, or like yeah. wetting their lips. And like worse and worse things began just happening amazing. over the course of the yeah. six amazing. episodes. The chimpanzee uh, starts messing around. The set starts collapsing. Yes. The pot coffee keeps getting poured. There was the, there yeah. was accumulation yeah. of gags in general. That's another thing it did that is is fascinating for TV versus airplane. Is there are jokes that build over the course of the series whether it's the way they have the litany of people that they've arrested that they start running down at the end of every episode by the time they get to episode six it's well they're up there in the jail next to this person this person this person this person this person they have that and i love that there's a sense of there's a right order to watch these in and there's stuff that accumulates (laughs) and there are punchlines that build over the course of the show yeah um, Alan North, by the way, uh, he has a really weirdly small filmography. Mm-hmm. Uh, you might know him from Glory and Highlander, but the, I just think this is his great role. But you know who has an even smaller filmography? Uh, Rex Hamilton. <laughs> Rex Hamilton, who plays Abraham Lincoln. This is his only credit. That's hilarious. That's hilarious. I think he has one. He has like one other credit on IMDb, but I think it's because he's in a clip from Police Squad. <laughs> That's the only reason. Awesome. It's really weird. Um, also, uh, Ted Olson. Yes, uh, the only uh, other guy that made it to the movies. Uh, only other major guy, anyway, like a couple of the smaller actors. Yeah. Um, but he he was um, had this again. He was around he's for upsetting. a long time. He's upsetting, is he? 
It, well, the character. Oh, the character. Oh, just yeah. oh it's really creepy. Oh, so upset. He's always doing he's this like the, uh, Mr. Like Wizard the, shit with kids, but it's creepier every time you see it. And next it's time we'll talk about why cows look forward to getting milked. Yeah. What? <laughs> I'm, I'm amazed they got away with these jokes. Like, I think the television didn't just get it. That's yeah, my only. I, I, I got to. Uh, I got to. I went to a college where uh, Jim Abrams came in to speak wow. and sort of give sort of a lecture on what comedy was. And I hope he took notes. I was too busy laughing because it was hilarious. <laughs> but right. uh, he was shocked that they could get away with the gags they did in A in Police Squad, but also from Airplane. You know, the, have you ever seen a grown man naked? Do you like movies about gladiators? Yeah. I think Top Secret a, a grown is, man is Top Secret's crazy. Top, top Secret is kind of filthy. Top Secret Truly is crazy so moments. great. Yeah, <laughs> I, top Secret I think is one of their finest it, hours. It's my, it's it's my, my favorite thing they ever did. It's yeah. really, really, yeah. really, really funny. Um, Ed Williams is also in a movie. I'm uh, uh, sorry, Ted Olson's movie. I'm, I really want to see. I really want to hear the episode of 80s all over when you do Rat Boy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Rat Boy is fucking weird. It was like the first movie Sandra Locke directed. Well, it was, it's all about people trying to ex- exploit a Rat Boy. Specifically, yeah. that's the movie that Warner Brothers gave her yeah. so she wouldn't sue the living shit out of Clint Eastwood. That's so weird. Yes. And that's, you, can, you have carte blanche to do anything. I know, anything. And you did Rat Boy. Yeah. yeah. You're so talk, weird. Talk about, know, that's, that's a would prank. Would you like a, like a do over? A, a mulligan, perhaps? <laughs> no, no, no. I'm going double down on Rat Boy. Yeah, no, just um, Rat Boy. Just, I just want to sell it. A character who I'm surprised didn't come back in the movies is Johnny. Oh, the, played, the, no. the shoeshine guy. The, yeah, he played by William Dewell uh, from One Foot of the Cuckoo's Nest and Elvira, Mistress you of the Dark. You would think that would have been a perfect joke That's to have freaking... twice in the movie. So every episode... Uh, he's Frank, great. Every episode, Frank Drebin goes to a shoeshine guy. This little nebbishy guy. Yeah, and it just says, like, what do you know about uh, about the Mad Bomber? And he's like, I don't know anything about it. And he gives him a fiver, and he tells him, like, everything you could possibly want yeah. to know about the his subconscious. Like, he, he just knows everything. Yeah. My, my, my wife has a theory that Johnny is God. <laughs> he's actually God. Like, that was going to be the gag. And every time Frank leaves, someone shows up. And oftentimes it's someone really famous. Like, Dick Clark shows That's up and asks, and asks what Ska is. And it's the one time Johnny is wrong because he says it will never take off. And, and it did. And then he gives it him did. face cream to keep him young. Yeah. yeah. He gives Tommy <laughs> Which goes Lasorda, right back to the God theory, yeah. He gives Tommy Lasorda advice about coaching. Uh, it's, it's well, God, I, that's a funny I gag. Like the bit, and it I, never gets I old. I think it might have been in the first one where he's like, what, what can you tell me about life after death? Where a priest sits down and says, yeah. what, what do you know about life after death? I don't know a thing. Priest gives him a fiver. Well, you're talking about anthropomorphic deity or existentialism. <laughs> they wrote so at great. such a high yeah. level. And, uh, the, you know, some of the guys who wrote on the show, Tino and Sana and uh, Robert Wool, yeah. these are guys who did a lot of other stuff. But yeah, Robert Wool's better known as an actor film. now. I know. and, yeah. and You he, know Robert Wool from Batman as the reporter from Batman who didn't show up in any of the other Batman. Also Arliss. And the show that wasn't funny. He's definitely he's a writer of two of these episodes. He really, if you talk to him about it, he kind of brushes it off. Like it's well, that wasn't my show. I didn't really have much. To do. It was work for hire, and yeah. it's a shame because I, I think it's it's one of those credits I'd be super stoked but to have on my resume. Yeah. He at least did a commentary track on the DVD. So yeah, yeah. Um, also, he's not like distancing himself. But Joe, from Joe Dante him. loves this show and, yeah. and has only yeah. good things to say about it. Joe yeah. Dante did two episodes, uh, very much in his wheelhouse. Dick Miller, of course, shows of course. up. Of course. <laughs> Well, because he was he was around. Like you just if, if you're if you're shooting a movie in Los Angeles, Dick Miller just shows up because he assumes he's been cast. Here's a secret: Dick Miller doesn't sleep. That's how he's been working. So he's just on set twenty four. There's hours actually there. seventeen of them, and they're. Right there. <laughs> Dick Miller to the infinite power. It's going to be an interesting, uh, interesting. The, another. Uh, Do you guys know Up All Night, starring Dick Miller, Roger Corman film. 
Uh, I, 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 that they all kind of blur together no, after all. No, which one's no, up all night? No, it's the, it, the no, side no. of the road, the little diner where everybody gets locked in, and there's a dude who's got it. It's right. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. It's great. Yeah, that's great. great. Dick Miller performance. Uh, another recurring gag we haven't really talked about yet is the special guest star. We alluded to it at the beginning with because Drew is our special guest They're star. Fantastic. Uh, every opening credits had a special guest star, and it was some pretty famous person. Some of them are more famous. Robert Goulet. Robert Goulet was in one. Florence Henderson was in one. Lauren Green, William Shatner, and they all die in the credits yes mm. now and, and and that's the and they don't show up in the episode and they don't that's show up in the episode though. but here's the thing we do know who shot one of those and didn't end up in the show I, it's it's one of those I can only imagine how eerie that feeling is when you get the call yeah you have it on film mm. you have John Belushi with his feet in cement at the bottom of the river yeah <laughs> and then he's dead yeah and then they call mm. and he's dead and you haven't aired the show yet and you cannot air that show. And now apparently the footage is missing. Yeah, I know. And that's a shame. It's, it's, I think, obviously it was too soon at the time. I think he would have wanted that show. Oh, I would have loved to have seen the gag. Because yeah. it's one of those, It's that's that's another thing. You know, Belushi, there's so little Belushi. Like, there's really not so as much little. as you think. He made such a huge impact so every on every piece of it is yeah. for Belushi fans. It's this, okay, okay, I've got that. Okay, I've got this. The, like I, I've, got, I've tracked down drafts of movies that he was going to make simply to have one more kind of thing, like Noble Rot, the Novello yeah. film. Like, I had to read that finally, just to read what it was to, to kind of fill that picture out a little bit more. Yeah. I'd love to have his cameo, because it's, it's infamous, and it's a great joke. That's an excellent one. Yeah, that's a really funny bit. At the end, they end up replacing him with William Conrad, which is also a funny joke, sure. but the thing with William Conrad is, they just do Lorne Green's death again, and that's kind of disappointing. I imagine they had to they rush that one. They, they must have There's got to be other ways to kill William Conrad, though. Yeah. I could come up with a million ways to kill William Conrad. Which is I, why I there's that restraining order. Yes! We've talked about this bit. <laughs> well, sorry, I, I love, sorry. though, that you, you can tell, obviously, that all of the guest stars kind of got to... The scenario was clearly given to them as scripted, but they got to do the, their death as big as they wanted. Yeah. Yes, Florence so, Henderson is singing and baking a cake when she's <laughs> shot. And... Uh, <laughs> My, my, my favorites are Robert Goulet and, and Shatner because, you know, Robert Goulet, he's on a firing squad and he just gets shot. He's tied to a post. He just gets shot twice in the chest. I like and he gives this great sort of tragic crisp-on <laughs> look as the life drains out of his body. I always, like the, implication, Shatter, hold on, I always like the implication that Robert Goulet did something to deserve that. <laughs> That's the secondary joke there that makes me laugh the most. And, uh, and Shatner's gag was that, you know, somebody shot at him. He shot back got the guy who was shooting at him, and then was poisoned. <laughs> that sounds like Shatner all over. Yeah, really, and, that sounds like he pitched it, and they go, it's a hat on a hat, Bill, but sure. fine. Okay. <laughs> but, you know, when he drinks the poison and clutches his throat, he does so like like everybody did in the sixth grade. You know, he's clearly just doing this amateur theatrics because it amuses him. Mm. He probably didn't remember doing it anymore. It's hilarious. I, I really, this this show, and it's, it's funny. It it is it is fun. So smartly built, and I think it is that that rare case where I think a lot of times humor is of a moment and kind of mm. a, of an era. And I think what you see here is something that you are still feeling ripple out through other creators and mm. other artists and right. other comedians. And that's one of the reasons it stays so interesting is mm. we we feel the DNA of Police Squad and so many other things now. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, it's been a lot diluted. Of, a but, lot of that yeah. is showing up in like the Freeburg Seltzer joints. Well, the sort of, of, I, I the think sort of and spoofery. It is. Yeah. But what's weird is that Police Squad turned into that. If you rewatched Naked Gun thirty three and a third, the final the insult. It's evolving into Friedberg Seltzer yeah, in yeah, front yeah, of you. Yeah, yeah. Huge chunks of that movie are just them doing Thelma and Louise without a joke. Well, that's Pat Proft as opposed yeah. to these guys and Neil Israel. And, you know, there's there's other voices that then became more important. And yeah. it just pulled in that 
they, mm. they had a certain gravity as mm. comic voices that it pulled towards. And what? I think these guys, by hiring the directors they did, mm-hmm. by hiring the cast they did, they knew what they were doing so well. Yeah. Mm. Top Secret is radically different than this. Top Secret is more crazy. Yeah. yeah, top secret they know full well, and I love the surreal in this. Certainly, there's plenty of we we talked about this. I love the joke in the uh, the episode, and I think it's what you played the clip from, but where the showgirl says, "Just give me a moment to change," walks behind the thing and comes out a different person, mm. not yeah. a different outfit, <laughs> same outfit, different person. That that's so weird, that's a, that's and I a love concept that. Taken from uh, Have you seen Boone Wells, the obscure yeah. object of desire? Yeah, yeah. and I love, but I love the surrealism that then creeps into Zucker Abram Zucker, and then yes, then eventually gets cranked up to a point where I no longer think of it as surreal and I just think it's silly. There's one joke in this movie, in this movie, in this show that is so fucking surreal I honestly had no memory of this when I rewatched it for this show and I watched it and I'm like, this is not a joke this is a scene from Haozu that round up in the wrong place. It's the Japanese garden. Yeah. So they there's a, there's it's oh, episode yeah. one second oh, talking about another yeah. joke. It's episode three. Woo, that's a note that the network gives you now. <laughs> but it's no, not, here's the thing. It's not really <laughs> offensive. It's just surreal. It's, it's, so it's, it's two young characters. They're young lovers, and they're having a conversation about getting married. And they say, "Let's have this. Let's have this talk outside in the Japanese garden." They walk outside, and I thought they were gonna like walk into Japan, yeah. like that was gonna be the joke, which would be perfectly funny. No. They walk into a garden where it's full of giant flower pots and. Just Japanese, Japanese people, people standing there. Vacant expressions. It's actually really kind of horrifying. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's actually a really yeah, surreal. It's motel how weird. It's, yeah. yeah. It's very strange. Cold and stuff going yeah. on here. So the first episode of Police Squad was actually uh, written and directed by Zuckums Abrams, uh, Zucker. Zucker Abrams Zucker. It's kind of hard to say fast. I'm going to steal a Reese's. Take it. Yeah. Take it. It's happening. It's okay. That's why the snacks are there. Uh, but the first episode in particular... You watch this one, and it is on the same level as Airplane. Like, the jokes, mm. every joke is funny. Every scene has a million jokes to the extent that you want to rewatch it immediately because you're pretty sure you missed something, and you usually did. I forgot how many passes they said they would make it a script, but, mm. like, they'd write their script with a lot of gags, and then they go through and add more, and then they go through, I think, maybe four or five times, adding more jokes each yeah. time. There was not enough gag volume yeah. for these people. Uh, but here, but here's the thing. cracking the whip on the joke writer. That first episode is so... Perfect. Yeah. It's perfect that the next episodes, they never quite achieve that again. It's unsustainable. Like it the pace that's the thing. thing. That's it, my it, problem it with really Police was, Squad. There's no writer's room. There's yeah. no process that really had been set up yet. Yeah. Now we understand writer's rooms in a different way. And yeah. you, you get it. That you, bring, you bring in Schwartzwelders and George Myers, and you bring in 50 dudes, and you throw them all at it, and then that density happens. But right. I don't think this process, I don't think they had any fucking clue the amount of work it would be to come up with just 24 minutes yeah. of killer and, jokes. And, and even when they repeat they, jokes, they start, it gets... They yeah. just start repeating jokes, and, and you, it was really obvious. Like, the one of the running gags of the show is uh, the title that would appear on the screen would never match what the announcer said. Yeah, so the title would say something like uh, Revenge and Remorse, and the announcer would say, this week's episode... A the bird gu- in the head. Yeah, yeah a yeah, guilty it's, alibi. It's, it's, it, it's yeah. hilarious the first time, but you know, after a while, especially if you're marathoning them, it's like, oh, that's the, uh, you don't giggle anymore there's a rhythm. after a while. Yeah, and yeah. that was uh, although, what Airplane didn't have, was a rhythm that we recognized yet. Yeah. That's almost death to this kind of comedy. That's one of the problems with this show, is that it is, it's one of the things where we're going to talk about at the end of the show, where whether it was 
was canceled too soon or not, there's an argument to be made that this is all it could sustain. Mm. That this is it's legendary because even it didn't the, last long. It's like faulty time, towers. That feeling was there, and I, I yeah. certainly, you know, by the time the last two finally trickled out over the summer, because they canceled it, yeah, and then they, 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 you got the feeling when they aired it over the summer, it was like, all right, all right, stop asking, we have two more here, and they just <laughs> dumped it to get yeah. it done, and you got the feeling that ABC wasn't totally wrong, mm. that it was they. Their explanation is still legendary, is the dumbest thing an executive's ever said to a newspaper. But there's some truth but in there, it somewhere. There's there's absolutely a feeling that this would have been a nightmare to work on back then. Like, yeah, just yeah. to make it happen mm-hmm. would have been I mean, really even, hard. even look at something like Get Smart, which is wacky and full of constant jokes, it's not this constant. No. Well, it's really it's relaxing comparison. It's more, it's more the old school kind of vaudevillian back and forth. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and you can write days of that stuff. That's yeah, not yeah. terribly well, difficult for good gag writers. Also, Get Smart was a, a story-driven show. I mean, it was Maxwell Smart, and he's a funny guy, and it was all about the dialogue, but they constructed it like an actual show, and the there's plot no actually mattered. There's no that there's real continuity in this. You're right. There's none. Yeah. Well, like, there, like, there, there is because there are, there's all those other char- there characters plots, they captured. It, it is, it is a tertiary concern at best. They were clearly doing gags first. They were trying to think up scenarios they could kind uh, of set up. Now, I will say this. Like, One of the things that had to happen in order to make it go is they had to actually start stretching a little bit. And the result of that is one of my favorite performances is Leslie Nelson in the episode where he's the performer. The, the nightclub performer. He's a, he's yeah. a stand-up comic. There's yeah. a couple of moments in that where Nielsen goes for it. And it's a totally different Nielsen. Well, and there's an there's an energy that he brings to it, and you see really what a beast he was. He was yeah. something. Well, it's interesting because like again, it's a cop show, and we've all seen a billion cop shows. They're still on all the time. We never seem to run out of cop shows or fodder for cop shows. But for comedy, you can only do so many murder mystery storylines. So one of the things Police Squad did pretty rapidly uh, from the second episode on was there would always be an undercover subplot. Mm-hmm. You'd always have to go undercover as a stand-up comic. Uh, there was one, the, one... The best one is the locksmith because he breaks <laughs> oh, into someone's house. It's like, How did you get in here? And who are you? <laughs> I'm a locksmith. And I'm a locksmith. <laughs> Now that's a joke uh, where somebody got up and just walked around the room like this for like a half an hour. Yes! You know, there was a gag like that in uh, The Naked Gun Two and a Half that I actually really appreciate. Yeah. He walks up to Robert Goulet and his ex-wife sitting at a table and says, how are you two doing? You're looking awfully cozy over here. And... Uh, Robert Goulet looks up and says, Drebin. And she says, Frank. He looks back at them, totally deadpan, says, you're both right. <laughs> Love that. Yeah. I, well, didn't, I, I didn't see your name on the guest list, Drebin. That's well, funny. Okay. You know, Sometimes talk- I use my maiden name. Robert Goulet has the best I don't fucking believe this shit face. <laughs> He's not a great actor, but he is one of the great straight men in Naked Gun 2. I swear yeah, to fucking yeah. Christ. His just squint, where he's just like, really? <laughs> well, I think one of the, one of the other things that has changed is, you know, film and television has gotten, I think, just in terms of professional polish, mm. there's a very different level that we work at now than we did in, say, 1982, especially in TV. But there there was a... Um, there, there's a... Hold on, let me see if I can get back to the point I was, I was going to make here. Um, yeah. th- there's a sense in older shows that when you listen to the dialogue, so much of it is genuinely awful dialogue. And I think they celebrated that. That was something that they thought was hilarious. Yeah. Which is why so much of their dialogue feels like actual straight dialogue. You know, it's one of the reasons uh, Plan 9 from Outer Space is so famous. 
This man's been murdered. Yes, and someone's responsible. <laughs> That's a, they're not kidding. That's not a joke yeah. from them. So it's, it, it's amazing when you think about it. These guys had an ear for that. And mm. that, to me, is what's so funny in a lot of their writing is it's not that they're writing jokes. It's that they understood how terrible so much of this you know, stuff was and just let I, it be terrible. I'm reminded of something. Uh, you know Alonzo Duralde, right? Sure. He's been on the show. We talked about the Muppets with him. We're going to have him back for My Mother the Car, it looks like. <laughs> okay. Uh, but uh, he's right in his wheel. Doesn't it? Uh, and he's, he's great. But I was over at his place. He's As you all know, he's a huge Christmas junkie. And we were watching uh, like Christmas with the King family. And I had never that's seen it of, before. That's one of his favorites. I know. Yeah. I'd never seen it before. And he made this comment, and it just blew my mind because it was so perfect. This was back when, when we had a culture to be counter to. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. that's the thing that humor kind of needs. It yeah. needs to fly in the face of something. Well, and when, But nowadays, culture is this huge, jumbled mess of stuff, like where everything well, is permitted, and it just... It's one it's, of the reasons people have a hard time figuring out where to punch up or punch down at this exactly. point. Exactly. I, I think a lot of people don't even understand where they are in the... Mm. The structure of things, yeah. so it's I think really that, hard. There's yeah. kind of a, a weird kind of worship of a lot of media these days, and it's it's kind of dangerous to parody anything. And uh, what, what's really big right now, all of the Disney products. Well, how do you spoof that? Well, that's uh, the reason satire is almost dead. Yeah, is yeah. spoof is easy. Mm. Spoof doesn't have any teeth. Yeah. You can spoof all day long. Whatever the new. Freeberg Seltzer, Star Wars, whatever the fuck it's called. Yeah, it's I'm like never going there. to see it. It's called like episode 135. Yeah, I'm never going to see it. Oh, I get it. That's, a, that's, that's funny. Get it? Because there's a lot. I get um, it. Star Worlds, I think, is what it, it's called. You know, And you know what needs the piss taken out of it is Star Wars. It really does. right now. Yeah. But we need but something with... smart. Yeah. You know, I mean, for God's sake, Mel Brooks bounced off Star Wars. Yeah. And the reason being, he loves Frankenstein movies and he mm. loves Westerns. He couldn't have given two shit. Yeah, he's really <laughs> cynical about it. Clearly, yeah. did not love Star Wars, and so it's still it's funny, not, but it's not a satire. I'm not, like I'm a, not that big a fan of that one. And I, for me, it's that weird thing where I feel like he didn't, he didn't love it, he didn't care. The, so the reason why Young Frankenstein is is a satire is because it actually works as the thing it's satirizing. It That's could the be difference. a sequel. It yeah. could be a real sequel and be 100 percent canon. You just came out of uh, uh, seeing Get Out. First off, how fucking awesome is Get Out? Man. Okay. Yeah. Are we allowed to talk about well, it? Yeah, it's okay. fine. We're not going to spoil it or anything on this show because this isn't where people I'll come to. But this. That's an angry movie. Isn't that fucking great though? Yeah. But that's one where it knows where it's punching up. Yep. Uh, that is it's, and the thing is, is that with a slight modulation of tone, that movie's funny as fuck. Oh yeah. But because you know there's a dark undercurrent to it, it is fucking. It's hard to laugh. Terrifying. This is places where I, I, I laughed, but I laughed in the Jordan Peele with Jordan <laughs> Peele and Keanu. I was completely and, rattled yeah. after that movie. Like you, I, you I was disturbed. I was, yeah, I was really disturbed. Yeah. yeah, Jordan Peele, I think, is one of the few comedians right now who understands where the dynamic is, where to punch, where to hit hard, when to be funny, and apparently when not to. Yeah. And I'm really, really excited to see what he's gonna do. Well, I mean, so much of their work had an undertone of creepy anyway that mm-hmm. it was not a big push. Even though Atencio is responsible for directing a lot of the visual stuff, clearly Key, you know, Key and Peele both are very aware of genre and how it works. Mm-hmm. And Peele has such a, an appetite for this. Yeah. Um, so, uh, no, it's 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 tough, man. And look, and the power fact, thing even, is a even big in, deal in comedy. Uh, even, yeah, you need. Yeah, it's important. It's even important Zucker, in comedy. It's important in porn. Even Zucker Abrams, Zucker, uh, kind of. They themselves, like they split up and they started oh, yeah. doing their own projects. And oh, David Zucker's even by the nineties, it was weird. just all out. He's very um, weird. 
because they they started doing stuff like Jane Austen's Mafia, which well, is the I, same sort of thing. But but, but Jerry, Jerry, is, Jerry Zucker is very mainstream. Jerry Zucker did, just wants to make movies. He did Ghost, yeah. which is very respectable. It, first Night, the first Sean Night, which is movie. David Zucker did it for Christmas cool. Carol and lost yeah. his fucking mind and went yeah, super yeah, super yeah. super right yeah. and mm. lost his sense of humor about things. Mm. And I think Abrams is just kind of he's just Jim Abrams, and I think he he really didn't want. I think he loved this. I really do. Mm. I think there's a sense that that's one of those heartbreaking things where those three guys, because they ended up going in very different directions, I wonder what we missed. I they're really they're feel the like Beatles they of comedy. They could have if yeah. they could have hung it together a little longer and really figured out a way to, to well, give each other a chance to drive occasionally, but still come back together. Yeah. But like like Police Squad, though, I think that it's a comet. It, it would burn out too quickly. Mm-hmm. They can't sustain. Too beautiful to live. That. Look at the Marx Brothers. Even their later films don't have oh, the yeah. same sort the, of. The energy. first like four or five are brilliant, uh, and then yeah. after that you can skip them. Yeah, pretty much. It's yeah. Like, like, do, do it really feels like they built a, Casablanca. No, no you really no, don't. You don't. They built yeah. a duck soup, mm. made duck soup, and then could have left the planet because yeah, duck yeah, soup's yeah. it. So, duck soup is as good as it gets. When it so. comes to this level of comedy, it's like condensed com- comedic history. Yeah. They're they're cramming so much gag, so much humor, so much energy, so much brilliance into. They put so much energy into one thing that they don't have ideas anymore. Well, and here's they kind what, of use them all up. So I think these Freeberg Seltzer guys are never going to have. They're never going to ever have an idea as batshit crazy as we're going to make an Elvis movie set during World War II with surfing. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to do what? And it's awesome. And it's because they took all these things they love and married them together in a way that no one else's brain would have ever come up with mm-hmm. whereas well, so much of this shit now is the easy joke but that's the thing is though they Look took all Shrek those and he's fucking something I know but here's the thing <laughs> they took all those ideas in Top Secret and they made a movie out of it yeah. they took all of those these weird odd shared moments that every story has and they just took different genres and jammed them all together so that the story is cohesive mm-hmm. but you know the parts are ludicrous in the Friedrich Seltzer stuff they're just doing a scene from another movie there's no through line like a haunted house has has more of a through line than any Freeberg Seltzer film. It's the school of comedy from Last Action Hero where Arnold's walking into a thing and the Terminator walks out and Basic Instinct walks out and he looks at them and that's the joke! They're both people you recognize! Yes. Wah, wah, wah. There's no joke You're there. Still it's not, it's not funny. Hero. Oh, I'll be mad at last action. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's but it's a, not a joke. There, there is a, there, no, I think the problem is there is a way to sort of artfully uh, do a reference so spin that it. it becomes kind of yeah, a, a punchline. Just look at, look at the comedy of, of, uh, of uh, Dennis Miller, for instance. A lot of his stand-up is sort of referencing other things, but he d- tends to use it as... Uh, sort of cultural turning points, reference points to sort of elucidate. John Oliver's gotten very good at that. Yeah, John Oliver as well. Certainly there's a way to do that masterfully, but you have to, again, I I just finished reading the uh, the Daily Show oral history book, and Mm -hmm. it's terrific because it's not just, we did this, we did this, we did this. They explain how the evolution happened between all of them, Ben Carlin, John Stewart, all the guys that were working on the show, and how they realized that the Kilbourne show they inherited was still just basically cheap jokes. Mm-hmm. And they had to gradually evolve the even the idea of what is our perspective on the thing before we ever make a joke. Mm-hmm. That was that was years for them to get there. And I don't think everybody understands that part. And I think it looks easy from the outside. Mm-hmm. But the reason The Daily Show, when it was running at full strength, was what it was, was because they knew 
ethically and ideology and ideologically where they started from, and it gave them permission mm-hmm. to punch the way they punched. They got it. It's what you talk about with Jordan Peele. They're keenly aware mm-hmm. of where their place was, and when they got it wrong, they knew they got it wrong, and frequently felt like they got it wrong. Yeah, but we're aware of it. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, Friedberg Seltzer don't seem to have a point of view on media. Then, no, that's they—they they just they—they they know it's there, but they don't have well, a. And there's about a cynicism it. to their stuff too, where the idea is that all this stuff is interchangeable, even when when and garbage. They hate it all, but still, but like Zuckerberg, Zucker, Zucker they, 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 they hate the stuff they're parodying. Like, if, you can tell if, they don't. If, like no, no, it. I know, but I'm saying Zuckerberg and Zucker, you can tell that they love the stuff that they're parodying, absolutely, and or, that makes it that makes you want to love it too. Or if you hate it. If you hate the thing you want to take the piss out of, go the Alex Cox route. Yeah. You, you, you just destroy it. You blow it up. You, you mm-hmm. take a piss all over it. Del- be deliberately angry. You can't just sort of snark like you're half high and make and expect people to laugh at I look it. forward to I've shown Airplane to my kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've seen Top Secret. They, they know those two. Mm-hmm. Uh, I look forward to the show. And they've seen one of the Naked Gun movies. Okay. Which well, I the feel first like, one? Or yeah, the first one. And it's the I funniest. Feel like, I feel like that was right because that tone was perfect for them when they wanted to see it. Mm-hmm. I look forward to them getting a little older and me sharing Police Squad with them because I think they'll appreciate it once they've gotten just a little bit yeah, yeah. sharper about wry humor and subtle humor and Toshi's getting there. He's getting to the point now where things will make him laugh oh. five minutes after it happens. He'll be in the other room and I'll hear <laughs> <laughs> and it's like okay, something just landed and I'll ask him about it and it's literally like a time release thing that went off and he's like, I think I just got that. Mm-hmm. And I love that because How old is he's, Toshi now? he's 11. Yeah. Oh, so that's, it's right, that's the right age. And I was 12 when this came out and I was in love with it. I loved yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, so the question we have to ask ourselves is and I want us to be completely honest about this because I know we love the show. Yeah. But if we were in charge of it, mm. was this canceled too soon? Or did it have exactly what it needed to have? This was canceled at just the right time. I kind of agree. I, I, I think if there was more, it would have suffered. Yeah. Uh, it would not have maintained its level of brilliance. And I think a lot of its appeal is that it is... How many the, shows the do you talk about where you go, oh, but season five. <laughs> right? <laughs> You don't say that about Police Squad. Police Squad had six well, episodes and it was kind of the shining thing that happened. Mm-hmm. And even with its flaws, I kind of love just here it is, and I've got it on a shelf, and it's this one little box, and I can just yeah. keep it. And they used Perfect. to and they used to re, they used to trot this sucker out too, mm-hmm. partially because the Naked Gun movies were such hits. Yeah, but they would just air this on Comedy Central as just the sort of look what there was once. Wasn't this fantastic? We're going to make a night of it, mm-hmm. and we're going to show all six. Oh, and you would you can make watch a this night thing of it. in yeah. no time because yeah, it's like yeah, what twenty four minutes each. It's not even three hours. You're yeah. dealing with like it's, two it's and a, and a half. It's hours. a long movie, but yeah. one movie. Yeah, it's 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 a and, solid watch. And in fact. There was an attempt to turn this into a movie. Those scenes are weird. That connected they, they, footage they, they shot. They added is weird. like connected footage, connecting yeah. footage to sort of tie all the episodes into well, sort of a feature film like thing. Did you ever see that like bonus feature they did for Anchorman? Mm-hmm. That was yeah, it was another feature. Wake up, Ron Burgundy. Yeah, the idea is well, they had this huge like sort of terrorist subplot yeah, they, in the well, movie. They that shot the second half of the film. Yeah, that it, was the whole. They yeah. reshot everything. Yeah, that, it didn't that work. movie is a mess, but yeah. it's a miracle it worked at all, and it ended up being fucking great. But it's held together by band aids and tears. Yeah, but they have like <laughs> there's like forty minutes of footage that they had, and they just took outtakes. And they just made a different movie, and it's a it's a Frankenstein monster of a movie. As and one the, of the funniest scenes in, in either of the Anchorman movies, though, which is in the car 
when Dave Keckner goes way too far in his confessions of love for Ron Burgundy, and it goes on <laughs> and on, and it gets criminal. It's yeah. really <laughs> uncomfortable in that car. I love Keckner. I, I used to live with his brother-in-law, and so oh, nice. I... I Got to know Keckner well. And it's one of the few times the minutes... Love him name-dropping Keckner's brother-in-law. Oh, I know his brother-in-law. I lived with him for like six years. It was ridiculous. Um, but it was. I love that Keckner is a menace physically, in person. He's one of those guys like Will Ferrell. If Will Ferrell ever decided to play a serial killer in a dead straight movie, I guarantee by the end of it, people would be crying. It would be fucking terrifying. Because Will Ferrell, we forget, he's 6'11". He's and just yeah. gigantic and weird. And he's really intense, too. Yes, I've interviewed him. He's like, he really doesn't like... If he's has to be on he'll be cute and charming but if you're able to just sit down with him at the end of a really long day when he doesn't have the fucking energy anymore he's just this serious intense tall fucking dude well that's what I love about that scene in the car is yeah. it, it doesn't belong in any film it no. does not work in a movie <laughs> it, it stops the movie cold but as a scene played between two genuinely great guys who are really sharp performers oh god the power dynamic is incredible <laughs> so yeah um, so uncomfortable. So Police Squad. Police Squad apparently uh, was, was not canceled too rest, soon, but in a good rest way. Rest in peace. It, police, it went right. Yeah. And Police it, Squad was respected at its time. It was nominated for two Emmys. Yeah. It was nominated for Best Lead Actor in a Comedy for Leslie Nielsen. He lost to Alan Alda in MASH. And it was nominated for Best Which, Writing in a Comedy. That's fair. That's respectable. That's fair. <laughs> and it was nominated for Best Writing in a Comedy, and it lost to the pilot to Cheers. That's Which also I also, fair. Again, yeah. you that's a tough call. That's a tough call. That's That's... Yeah, that's losing best actor to Roger, Robert De Niro doing Raging Bull. You're like, all right, well, yeah, that's a very good version of that thing. That's yeah. that's about it. <laughs> it's one of those things where just they're 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 too like there's the it's, Cheers it's, pilot is a terrific yeah. piece of TV writing. No, I just every once in a while, like we think of the Oscars, and sometimes it's just so fucking obvious who should win, even if they don't. And every once in a while, you get like the year that like Rocky and all the presidents men mm. and uh, well, well the, yeah, the 1980 best network, actor, great Santini, yeah, Robert De Niro for Raging Bull. Uh, it, it, that year is um, Jack Lemon, Jack Lemon for tribute. Um, it, it is it's ridiculous, disgusting how how yeah. packed that uh, category was that year. And mm. oh, John Hurt for the Elephant Man. Oh, for right. sake. <laughs> you you look at that list and Peter O'Toole for the Stunt Man. Every fucking time Peter O'Toole <laughs> lost Best Actor, like how did Peter O'Toole never win a competitive Oscar uh. every year? Like who was he up against for Lawrence of Arabia? He was up against fucking Gregory Peck for To Kill a Mockingbird. Well, uh. fuck. Okay, that's a tough call. Oh, yeah. <laughs> One of the greatest performers in any medium ever okay yeah, it's, hard, it's hard to be mad about that he just gets one of the other greatest performances in any medium this is, ever this is one of the okay. reasons why everyone's still fucking mad about Goodfellas it's not that Scorsese lost again it's what he lost too yeah. every other time Scorsese lost you're just like well okay Ordinary People's really good okay fine Dances with Wolves is just big <laughs> That's what it is. It's just a big movie. That's all you got. Or, or how, how effing embarrassing was when Scorsese lost to Chicago? And, uh, but it was for Gangs of New York, though, and that is not his best work. Well, that's true. Very broken movie. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually kind of. A lot of people are like, "Oh, he went for great. Departed." The Departed is fucking great. It's, it's not his best movie, but that's still fucking great. It's fine. Gangs it's of fine. New It's very well made. Gangs of New York has is a great performance and great production design and great costume design and a whole lot of stuff that got overdeveloped for about 25 years. Mm -hmm. My favorite thing about Gangs of New York was making out through it. <laughs> That's how I felt about a civil action. A civil action. I made out all the way through a civil action. But Robert Duvall was so good, I could still tell. I've still <laughs> I, could, I could feel Robert Duvall coming through me. As, uh, uh, as That were. came out weird. Yeah. yeah. I well still, then. I, 
I still haven't seen the second Lord of the Rings movie. <laughs> all I'm going to say is 4DX is really, really being used wrong. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was like. There's. Uh, I went to see Fifty Shades Darker. At least I had to. Yeah. And if you didn't leave bruise, they did it wrong. Job, but that's my yeah. thing is, I was like a twenty dollar ticket because it was like for those vibrating seats, and I'm just like, am I going to orgasm when she does? Because that's the only time I actually would pay for that. And in that, but there was not fact, a promise. That's a callback to Kentucky Fried Movie. There you it? go. Yeah, Feelorama. The Feelorama. <laughs> Nelson goes into the sexy movie and gets felt up by the usher behind him. Comes in everywhere. Uh, uh, Drew, thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. This, this is honestly great. You guys asked me to come over and talk about Police Squad. Uh, it was pretty easy. <laughs> pretty easy. This has been a fun episode, yeah. Uh, uh, pimp your stuff. What do you got? Yeah, what, one more time. Uh, go to 80sallover.com. You can find Pulp and Popcorn subscriptions or single issues. The new issue goes on sale Friday. I've got, speaking of Lawrence Arabia, uh, I've never written about it. It's my favorite movie. And so oh, I have nice. a giant like 4,000 word piece on that. I have my Logan review. I have my Get Out review. Um, I also have a lot of original fiction this time. Um... You know, uh, the book, You're Watching It Wrong, a film near 2.0 guide to Star Wars, is also available at the site. And uh, we now have 80s all over as a Patreon page up and running because cool. um, we are going out of pocket deep on this. And, I was going to uh, ask you about that. So that's just all you. You're not part of like a podcast network nope, or anything like that. To- that's totally independent. And just like this one. I'm, I'm of the feeling right now, after having worked for two companies, that... Um, how do I put this nicely? Vigorously butt fucked me at the finish line <laughs> both times. Yeah, um, we've all been there. Not, not yeah. in the, not in a fun way. Not, or, not um, in the, not in the. I enjoyed it way. Um, uh, I am never doing that again. From now on, I own my shit. And uh, 80s All Over and the magazine everything else, I, we own. The, I co-own 80s All Over with the great Bobby Roberts, who is our producer, who is a sonic genius, and with Scott Weinberg, who is the live-action bender from Futurama. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, you're, you're doing it right. This is Thank basically, you, this is the way we're doing Cancel Too Soon. It's all ours, but unlike ours, yours is like, what, the 30th most popular podcast in the world or something? Oh, I think it had a moment. I think we're, we're back <laughs> off those charts. Uh, yeah, we're... Uh, He's doing really Really, really well. Yeah, so look, we've, been, got, yeah, yeah. we've got people listening, and that's the yeah. thing is that's I love this concept, and I think people are going to carry the word out because I think people yeah. are having a good time playing along. No, it's a really, really fun podcast. I recommend it a lot. And if anyone is listening to our show, Cancel Too Soon, for the first time because Drew was here, thank you very much. We hope you stick around. Uh, you can subscribe to us on iTunes. Uh, we're on Libsyn as well, uh, and we have a lot of really, really great episodes. If you listen to any other episode we do, be sure to listen to the 100 Lives of Black Jack Savage, the show about Donald Trump. Trump buying a haunted mansion in the Caribbean, teaming up with a black ghost pirate to solve mysteries using a sci-fi superboat. It is great. And I can't wait to beat you on the Schmodown. That will be really, really fun. <laughs> Next week. Drew, Drew, Drew. Very, very gentle shit talking. Uh-huh. Savage. This guy, this yeah. motherfucker right here. Okay, no, I'm gonna fucking I'll fucking do it right now. Do, this guy, we do hurt, these little intros. The man. We do these little the intros. Man. We do okay. these little intros. Mm-hmm. And we're supposed to do a little smack talking. He's about to compete with a completely different guy, and he fucking calls me out for a time like what, three years ago when I was nice? <laughs> Like three years ago. Oh, I had to use it though. That was, it was the best. It was so mean. Oh, it's I, the, best. the first fucking Dude, time. I, am I wouldn't so, be here if I was genuinely mean. That I was, was hilarious. I but I am so fucking insecure <laughs> all the fucking I, uh, time. I, yeah. I, you know, Drew. I know some like personal things about this. Yeah, he fucking does. I can, I can probably. You can be your joke writer. That is so much fun though. Okay. Because I knew, I knew you would see it. Yeah. Clearly, William. Yeah. That is that is not the way I truly No, do. but, but <laughs> it but was so much fun. Like three years ago, like the first time I had the fucking nerve to talk to this guy because he's been in the industry longer than I am and I am really meek. I know that might not come across that way, but I am. 
uh, I, I just say, like, hey, listen, when I was, like, getting started or whatever, I was reading your stuff, and it made me really want to be a film critic. And he used that as ammunition against me <laughs> wow. years later said, to make me look small, <laughs> like an asshole. It's like, like a plot of a Von Trier movie. I know, right? Oh it's like some Ripley's Game type I might have, I might have shit. actually made my first real enemy on the Schmodown. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. <laughs> so this will be fun. This I can't wait. I, I hope we get to compete together real, real soon. I, I think I, it's. I, I think they want it, and it's just yeah. a matter of how I do on this next one. And, and how I. I, I, gotta, I believe you're the target they're aiming me towards. They well, want to have it happen. I think a lot of people want to have it happen because uh, visually we're kind of interchangeable, and it'll exactly. be a weird visual effect. Be like putting Tobin Maguire in a. We know the craziest part movie. of the Rob Burnett thing because I've been mm. shit talking him as well. Yeah. Rob Burnett and I were born on the same day. I know he oh, looks weird. twenty years older than you. It's fucking crazy that yeah. we're born on the <laughs> same day. So yeah. Like, I can't use my age stick where I'm like, well, I've been around a lot longer. No, no, I've been around the exact same amount of time as Robert yeah. Burnett. So, so a, we're gonna we're gonna get into a bloodbath too. It'll be it'll, great. It'll be a lot a lot of fun. I gotta win just a couple to, more matches to get back. Age and treachery in the will always <laughs> succeed over age and treachery. <laughs> anyway, cancel too soon. Uh, it's a long episode. We're gonna get to letters next time. Uh, you can email us bmoviespodcast at gmail.com. It's the email for both of our podcasts. Put the uh, title of uh, this show uh, yeah. in the title so we know which so we're gonna read it on. Uh, so free to get confused. Feel free to give us suggestions. Again, this is. Suggestions list is literally hundreds long, but even if it's something we've had before, if a lot of people ask for it, we'll get to it faster. And uh, the next episode is a listener request. We put a poll up on Twitter, and kind of the runaway winner, I'm a little surprised, is Alcatraz. Really? So the next, yeah, this was up against uh, Kindred the Embraced... And uh, uh, Space, Space Rangers. Rangers. I think I saw and a couple episodes else. and went, yeah, I'm not going to keep going. This. <laughs> this, this was the, uh, the, I think the first attempt after Lost of the same creators of Lost to do yeah, something kind of similar. A and, lot uh, of people from Lost were involved in there's Alcatraz. A, there's so. a lot of sins that Lost has to answer for. <laughs> not all of them had anything to do with Lost. And a lot of the yeah. people involved know all about it. Drew Goddard's very, very honest about that if you ever interview him about that. Uh, so yes, we will be doing Alcatraz. That will be our next episode. And then in two weeks, we'll be doing the live-action six Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventures. Not not to be confused with Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventures, the animated TV series. Yeah, oh, no, 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 we wouldn't want to confuse you. No. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. Which at the end of this, are we all going to freeze frame? Yeah. Sure. <laughs> sure, why okay. not? Uh, so everybody, again, you can follow us on Twitter at CancelCast. I'm at William DeBiani. I am at Whitney Seibold. And I'm Drew McQueen. All right, and uh, that's a wrap, everybody. We'll see you next season. ha, ha, ha.